All right. Good morning, everybody. Mike Courtney here, Mass Mutual, Eastern Pennsylvania. It is a beautiful fall Wednesday morning here. I forgot what day it was for a second. Wednesday morning here in southeastern Pennsylvania. And just before we get started, I just want to let everybody know the Philadelphia Eagles are 6-0 and and the Philadelphia Phillies are 1-0 in the National League Championship Series. And if you had told me a couple of months ago that I'd be saying that, I would have said you were absolutely nuts. So um, uh, as a fan, I'm playing with house money here. Yep, this podcast is over since I'm a Niners fan and we just lost to the Falcons, so I'm out. <laughs> You've had your time. Um, joined, as always, by uh, my good friend and counterpart here, Steve Parisi, president and CEO of IBC Global. Steve, how's your week going so far? Good, good. Thanks, Mike. Uh, mile a minute, but that's always the case here, and I would not take it any other way. We were talking before, uh, you know, before we hit record here, we're going to continue that conversation just about, uh, I mean, some of it is changes in our, um, uh, you know, methods and, and client interaction and, and customer interaction due to uh, everything that happened with COVID and the pandemic and then the the subsequent fallout from all that. But some of it, you know, some of these things were kind of trending that way anyway, as far as um, ease of doing business and just overall, like whether it's utilizing technology or how you interact with people, how do you make things as easy as possible for the consumer, for them to digest information, make good decisions yeah. and kind of smoothly and efficiently uh, get things done. So can, can you speak to that a little bit, Steve, as far as how that works for you guys? Yeah, definitely. So that's the forefront of our business. Um, th there's two two main words uh, in our mission statement. One's transparency, making things as clear as possible. And the other is convenience, making things so easy for the consumer, having, uh, I like to refer to it as an obsessive compulsive focus on the customer, the customer, the customer, not me or what makes life easy for us, but the customer. And I stole that from Jeff Bezos. I didn't come up <laughs> on my own. Um, so every decision we make um, before we even create content or put anything out there is, will this be easy for the consumer to understand? Does it provide information in a convenient manner? Because the easier life is for the individual that hopefully will, will reach out to us and potentially work with us, the easier we make life for them, the more information we can provide up front, the easier they can understand how the life insurance product works. The differences in PUA flexibility, loan rates, whatever the question is with different companies and products, the more they have up front before they even engage one, they feel like, okay, we got more information from this group than another agent or advisor. I had to sit down with and meet five times first. And it's difficult to remember things in meetings. It is for me. So we try and think about that with the client. So one, we get all that information up front or they get it. And then two, by the time they do meet with us, they're educated. So it makes life easy for them. It also makes life a whole lot easier for us because we've already invested the time up front. So by the time we're engaging with them, it's very rare that we have to have four or five meetings because they're informed. They state, I know what I want. Here's how much I want to pay in. Here's the companies and products I'm interested in. Tell me something in case I'm missing something here. And sometimes that is the case. Um, but it's it's somewhat streamlined, which is, which is what we want because consumers prefer that. 
Um, some do want to meet and go through a, a more lengthy process that's very rare nowadays. Um, but again, I'm going to do whatever the consumer wants or what, for the most part, consumers are gravitating toward. Like that, that's my focus. Yeah. How though, how do you get, um, I mean, I know this because I, I, I see the kind of cases you're working with and, and what, uh, what kind of people, uh, who your customers are. But how do you get that such a, an educated consumer? Almost the, I mean, you're providing the tools, but um, I don't know. I just think it's really rare for consumers to self-educate mm-hmm. as much as yeah. a particular client demographic does. You know, I mean, I think some of it has to do with just the way that you have um, evolved into presenting the information. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a lot different than just like if I meet with somebody and I leave behind like, hey, here's the mass mutual dividend history and how the dividend is declared. I mean, somebody may read that, but not digest it. Mm -hmm. And most people aren't even going to read that. It's going to be a glossy piece of paper that, you know, maybe sits in their portfolio for a couple of days before they throw it out. Um, so, I mean, like what, you know, at what point did you realize you were onto something where, um, for whatever reason, you could really get these people to self-educate? Yeah. So it started when we started doing, uh, webinars years ago, um, which I just did on my computer. It was over a go-to meeting. Um, I didn't have my camera on because it was camera shy and some people show up to the webinar, but what we did, it's like, all right, let's like post it online <laughs> and see if we get any traction that way. Um, so we started a YouTube channel. I think that's how we started it. And people were watching the webinars. They liked the details, the attention to detail and reached out and said, hey, that example you went over in the webinar, I'm interested in that. Here's my situation. I'm 40 years old. Here's how much money I want to pay in. So I go, okay, that's not quite what I expected. Um, so that, that's how it started. We kind of stumbled upon it. Um, yeah. And what it was, it was just repetition from all the years where I'd met people one-on-one over go-to meetings, just going through the software, explaining how policies work, going through policy design, like that repetition definitely has paid dividends. I mean, that's what helps. That's what all of our marketing is based on now. Um, but like, as it's evolved over the years, a lot of our stuff is the same thing, just presented in a slightly different way. And I'll give you an example. We talk about how to maximize the cash value of a whole life insurance policy all the time. Like that's the forefront of what we do with whole life insurance products. I can take a technical approach for an engineer or an IT professional. For example, if you're going to pay in $10,000 per year, Right? Instead of me saying, here's a $1 million death benefit, it's going to cost you $10,000. You can say, I want to pay in $10,000 per year toward this cash value life insurance product that has benefits around the cash value being safe, liquid, and tax-free. Tax-free if I don't trigger a taxable event. All the good stuff. But did you know, Mr. Client, you can actually choose of that $10,000 how much you can direct toward the insurance premium Premium dollars do not build cash value in the first year, eventually start to, but they they satisfy the death benefit initially. So you can choose how much goes toward the insurance and then how much goes toward riders that immediately impact your cash value. You can access it right away. It's really the key to accelerating the cash value benefit and you'll find it begins to mimic what a lot of corporations do. 
any questions on that, Mr. Client? Right? I always ask a, a question there, but that's more of a technical approach because I'm explaining premium dollars. We get into the PUA rider, the MEC limit, term rider, right? There's a lot that goes into it, but some people yeah. want that. Then if it's a non-technical approach, which definitely is my weakness because I like the, the detailed stuff, is how I'll approach it is first ask the question, have you ever been exposed to or presented whole life insurance in the past? Or are you familiar with it? The answer is usually yes, or I know it's bad, or I'm not interested yeah. in it. That's usually the response I get. Where, okay, the, the example you saw, Mr. Client, was it a policy where you're paying premiums in, you had zero or very little on cash value in the first year, and it took more than 10 years just to see any real growth on your money? And when I ask that question eight out of 10 times, it's, yeah, that's what I was presented and that's why I didn't do it or I'm not interested in that. So what I'll say is that that's what most people are presented when it comes to whole life insurance. What you can do, though, a lot of people aren't aware of that, is you can take that same policy, pay the same dollar amount in, but you can actually choose where your money goes. And you can have a policy where you have between 80 and 90 percent of your payment in cash value, money that you can access, excuse me, in the first year alone, you see a you see positive growth much early on, typically between three to six years at the latest. You can really enhance the cash value of the policy, and that's really what we do in a nutshell. We're showing people how to minimize the insurance expenses and maximize the cash value. How about you know? I feel like there's two facets to this when you talk about convenience for the customer. Um, Convenience to me as a consumer means upfront. Um, you know, like I can think of scenarios that I've been in where I was either working with a sales professional because I was looking to purchase something, or a sales professional had um, was looking. You know, had identified me as a you know as a target to to buy something. Um, and going through the process, I just became so disenchanted that I forget the, you know, what, what am I even doing? What was my original <laughs> thing that I wanted to buy? I, I don't yeah. know what's going on. So there's that process, like, you know, kind of from beginning introduction and going through that educational process to make a decision. But then with our business, how do you, how do you specialize ease of doing business when you're going into underwriting and when you're submitting applications and when you're, you know, I mean, that's a whole separate yeah. animal that, you know, you have to come up with processes for all these companies operate in different fashions and you really kind of need one streamlined process. Yeah. That part can be a challenge um, because the most important piece up front when you're beginning underwriting, when someone says, okay, I want to start a policy is setting expectations properly and how we gather the information first is we've got a, an online questionnaire it collects most of the information needed uh, very easy for the client to populate you know, just fill in the information and then we populate the formal app and nine out of ten times they can e-sign it unless it's a case where wet signatures only are, are available uh, but again with convenience in mind rather than send them the application or go over everything on the phone I can send you a link where you can click the link and just type your information in. That makes it a bit easier, we discovered. So 
we didn't discover that. Yeah, the industry and everything discovered that and we copied it. <laughs> well, yeah, but not not to cut you off. If if you are an insurance advisor, financial professional, and you're listening right now, that is priority order of business for you to have your own personal, you know, intake sheet, if you will, that's going to capture all of the pertinent and relevant and relevant information that would be needed to fill out an insurance application for any insurance carrier. Yeah. And you'd be, I mean, it sounds like um, really basics, but uh, you know, once a week, somebody is reaching out to me and asking me if Mass Mutual has something like that available. Yeah. And I'm talking people that, you know, have been in the business for 20 plus years that just are always kind of flying by the seat of their pants. So th that is critical to kind of get that down right away. Yeah. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And it does help. It streamlines everything. And it makes life life easy for the client. Like that, that's where it where it comes from. Um, but when you get that information, and even before you get that information, like the conversation I'll have with a client or our agents will um is let them know the average approval process typically takes anywhere from three to six weeks. And in transparency, sometimes it's a lot longer than that, sometimes it's quicker than that. The only thing that's going to delay an approval in my experience is if the insurance company is trying to get medical records from your primary doctor or any specialists you've seen if you had any if you went to any specialists for anything over the past couple of years they may try and get a hold of those records and if it's difficult to get those records if it requires a lot of constant follow-up you need to sign off an authorization form and we find out three weeks into the process that's the one thing that can really delay the approval process. And when you can actually fund the policy, when you could put money into the product, is once you're approved. So because of the medical underwriting and the approval process, the legwork on your end is relatively easy as far as the questionnaire. Sometimes there's a medical exam involved. We've got the application, but you can e-sign that. I'll always let them know that the application is not binding in any way. We can easily make changes after the fact. It just helps us get us get everything medically approved. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll go through all of that, but just in the effort of setting expectations up front, letting them know on average it's three to six weeks. Sometimes it is longer um, and it's frustrating, but that does happen as you well know. Right. Yeah. But most importantly, you know, you, you need a really clear system in place for uh, collecting info, submitting to, you know, whichever companies it is that you're working with um, and then follow up and, and due diligence so that, you know, from from client's perspective, from a consumer perspective, if I'm the consumer and I'm in underwriting, maybe at some point I should think this is taking longer than I thought. But I should never think, well, this is really inconvenient or this is like a lot of follow up or why am I getting so many emails? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it should be really you should really try to minimize a lot of back and forth with the client during that time, I think. Fully agree. Make life yeah. so easy for them as easy as possible. When you like, here's a big thing. And I think a lot of agents make a mistake here because I used to a lot and I try to avoid it now is when underwriting asks the broker or agent, you or I, a question. We can do one of two things. We can say, okay, we need this information. We can forward it to the client or we can go ask them that question. Or we can pause for a second 
read the question aloud and say, do I already have that answer from a past conversation, from the information they submitted? Can I piece it together from the financials they've already provided right. and make life easy for them? Like that's how yeah. I look at it there. Um, and, and it's a, a small step there that I don't think a lot of people take because it, it requires investing time on the agent side. Am I going to stop what I'm doing and try and figure this out? This way I don't have to burden the client and waste their time with this question because I can get the answer on my own. Like if you can do that, that again makes life easy for the client. So that's something from day one, oh, not day one, once I've learned, hey, this is a smart thing to do, I've always tried to tried to do that um, because I don't want to burden the client unless you have to ask them because you don't have the information. Then you reach out and ask them. Um, but when you, you know, think of it like, like if I gave you all of my finances. There's a lot of, there's a lot of knee jerk reaction going yeah. back to the client quick. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. If I give you all of my financial finances, you know, my picture, um, and then some question comes up as far as where's the source of funds here. And you ask me that I'm like, I, I give you my finances. Well, here's specifically why some people be fine providing that, but you can look at it and say, well, he's got X amount of dollars in cash. So, I mean, like. This is yeah. his picture. Just provide a breakdown to underwriting. Yeah. How do you guys? How do you juggle the the um, the importance of communication versus face to face interaction? Mm -hmm. Because that's something I've always um, I've always struggled with a little bit because um, I don't like to be sold. Yeah. And a lot, some people really do like to be sold. Like they want someone face-to-face -face selling them on the attractive features of, you know, whatever it is they're looking at. And uh, I don't really have a lot of time for that as a consumer. So a lot of times for me as a sales professional, like I always assume that people want to spend as little time with me as possible. And I think I end up appealing to people like me who were very like, you know, get to the point. Here's what it is. Thanks for the explanation. Now I can make a decision. And I, I find that's the, just the way that I like to operate. Um, but not everybody likes to operate that way. So, um, you know, you guys do a lot of digital interaction and, you know, it's not a lot of face to face holding hands. And, and you know, what has that meant for your business and where do you see that going? Yeah, so it's propelled when we started doing more recordings and, and less face-to-face. -face. We still do a lot of face-to-face. -face. I don't want to say we don't do that at all. Um, but my goal is, again, to try and make things as convenient as possible for the consumer. And most people fall into the category that you described yourself as, as really not wanting to take a whole... But wait, when you're saying face-to-face, -face, you mean like this, right? Correct, over a Zoom call, yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, like, that's... I, I like. I'd say like an old fashioned. Oh, like actually in person. Anyone that I can think of as like, you know, someone who would be like driving me or propelling me to be do more business. First thing they would say would be like, you have to get in front of more people. You have to be shaking hands with more people. Physical contact. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. like we're Hugging, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that we don't do like any of. Uh, maybe well, a lot of that is geographical, basically. But I mean, it hasn't seemed to have any kind of negative impact on your business. 
No, no. And we do, you know, I don't want to say we don't ever do it. Uh, maybe one to two percent of people we work with is in person. It's probably one percent. Like this two weeks ago, um, had two events, one on Friday, one on Saturday. One was virtual um, right. all over Zoom. The other one was in person. It was out in the Midwest, which I had a lot of fun actually getting out to again doing stuff in person. Yeah. Um, but that was an in-person event because it was appropriate. It made sense to travel out there, meet with the group, really great group of people, enjoy meeting all of them. Um, but that made more sense. So it, it can make you sense. You can't travel to the Midwest to meet with one person. No, no. Like unless sure. it's, it's gotta be, it has to make sense just when you're operating the business as well and doing everything else that you're doing. Because if I, if I travel in mid, out to the Midwest, I mean, that's going to take a couple days, even if it's one day where if I arrange things properly, it's a full day to meet one person and I'm going to scrap all the other activity I would accomplish in that day. Like that's the issue right there. Like I value the time too much. I'd rather continue to do what I know I can do throughout a day, meeting with a number of people, helping the staff here and moving as fast as possible. Like it really, really has to make sense um, for me or for anyone to do that. I will say, too, that as time's going on, you know, like I, I feel like I was pretty calm and, and, and like everybody else when we first went into, um, you know, pandemic and shutdown mode and we all started using Zoom. It felt very clunky. It did not feel personal at all. You know, we had Microsoft Teams yep. that we were using through Mass Mutual, but I very rarely um, like I remember my general agent at the time would call me on Microsoft Teams. And at one point I called him back. I'm like, just call me on why we would never FaceTime before. Yeah. Why, why? You know, just call me on the phone. Like we're <laughs> grown men. Yeah. You know, I don't, don't want to look at your face. <laughs> um, and like we had a laugh about it, but it really was uncomfortable. And now it's very comfortable. Um, and that might just be because I've used it so much over the last few years, but I do feel personal contact with whoever I'm talking. It does feel face to face. Yeah. And I feel like a couple of years ago, it really didn't. It felt no. forced and kind of just clunky. And it felt like you were always interrupting someone. Or uh, and I think a lot of us have just gotten more used to this. And it does feel like a more natural conversation. Yeah, it definitely does. It's learning how to communicate on it, pausing maybe for a half a second, right? Or a full yeah, second yeah. instead of a half a second in between, because you do have lag and such, um, just with, when it comes to communication. But yeah, it is different. Um, and again, just knowing that and the fact that some people still are uncomfortable communicating through Teams or through Zoom, that's where what I'll do is over Zoom, create a short recording, which is going to cover the exact same thing I would with them over a Zoom meeting, send it to them, and they can watch it on their own time. If they want to connect, they can. Um, often they do, but it's just a, a short Q&A because we sent them the recording um, and that makes life easy for them. They can watch it kind of like they're watching a movie or something like that movie about life insurance. Um, but again, making life easy for them. <laughs> if you're watching movies about life insurance. You might just have to, might want to reprioritize your, might want to reprioritize. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, they make movies um, about the stock market. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to uh, further this discussion with either Steve or myself, uh, please feel free to reach out to either one of us at any time, as you always do. And uh, we'll be back here next week 
uh, to chat a little bit more about this and some other things in our world. So, Steve, thanks a lot for everything today. Have a great week. You too. Thanks so much, Mike. Enjoy.